The reading tonight is Psalm 32, and it can be found on page 560 of the Church Bibles. Psalm 32, beginning at verse 1. Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him, and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you while you may be found. Surely when the mighty waters rise, they will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you and watch over you. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the man who trusts in him. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all you who are upright in heart. This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray for us. Letter to the Hebrews says, The word of God is living and active. Sharper than any double-edged sword, it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Father, we thank you for your word, the Bible, and we ask that you will indeed use it now to work in us deeply for this new year ahead. Amen. Well, I don't know about you, but one of the things I like about the time off over Christmas and New Year is the chance to watch or read all those kind of reviews of the last year, you know, the kind of thing. Uh, maybe the sort of sports review of the year, uh, or a review of the best films, uh, or notable people, uh, and all those kind of things. And it's also interesting, isn't it, to, to read people's predictions uh, and forecasts for the year ahead. Uh, so I've read stuff on economic forecasts. I'm sure that sounds very interesting. Um, general election predictions, and of course, who is going to win the premiership? Well, maybe that's what you've been doing in the last few days, a bit like me, or maybe you've had the chance to think personally, to look back over 2014, uh, and to look forward uh, to the year ahead. Maybe there have been things uh, that you're aware of in the last year you've just thought, I've really not done them as well as I'd have liked. Uh, and perhaps you've got a whole bunch of hopes and resolutions uh, of how this year is going to be better uh, than the year gone. But of all the personal things we might plan uh, to work on this year, what's the most important? What is the number one priority? If there's one thing that stands above all the rest, well, what, what could it be? What should it be? Well, in our psalm we had read, our psalmist, I don't know if you noticed, is looking back and looking forward. Uh, and his concern is on just one thing, 
one thing that I would suggest is more important for us as individuals uh, than anything else. And so it seems like a really good psalm for us to look at uh, at the start of the year, which is why uh, I thought it would be good for us to, to do that. The psalm, you see, is about who is truly happy, who is truly blessed. And its answer is simple. It's those who are forgiven by God and have a real living relationship with him. That is where true uh, happiness, true blessedness uh, is to be found. Of all the things we could plan for this year, I would suggest that this one main thing is the thing we must make sure is in place if it's going to be uh, a fruitful year, our relationship with God. So at the start of 2015, how would you assess your relationship uh, with God at the moment? That's what we're going to be considering now. Before we jump in, just some brief comments about the psalm. Uh, It's obviously one of those what are called penitential psalms, but as you read it, it reads a bit like a song of wisdom. It has similarities with the wisdom literature of the Old Testament. It is really, if you like, a wisdom psalm. And if we take the wisdom of this psalm to heart, uh, then I would suggest it will help us to live wisely and fruitfully in 2015. I've divided it into two. Um, I've got one slide for you um, tonight, which gives a slightly more detailed uh, breakdown uh, of the psalm. Let me just uh, talk you through it. It starts and ends with a general statement, general statement of uh, who is a truly blessed person, person forgiven by God, and it ends Uh, with another general truth, that those who are trusting in God have assurance and joy. And then in the middle, you've got uh, a looking back section before the person confessed their sin. Uh, Then in the middle, uh, the dynamic changes uh, with forgiveness being received, then forgiveness being proclaimed, and then there's a looking forward uh, to the promise of God's instruction. I'm going to leave that up throughout the talk so uh, you can see, I hope, uh, where we're at and how this psalm breaks down. But we're going to start uh, by considering that those who have a relationship with God can look back to God's forgiveness of the past. Let me read a little bit again. Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him, and in whose spirit is no deceit. That's the general statement of the truly happy person. It's a bit like one of those Beatitudes at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. And it's saying that having your sins forgiven by God is to be in a truly happy state of affairs. Now in saying this, of course, it is assuming that sin exists. There's no time for us now to explore fully and argue for human sinfulness. But I would suggest we can see the reality of human sin when we look out and when we look in, when we look out at our world and think of all the human wrongs uh, that are perpetrated all of the time. There's so much, isn't there, that is not right. I casually glanced at the front page of one of the national papers today and two public figures alleged to have committed sexual uh, offences. And these kind of things just go on. 
Or we can look inward at ourselves and our consciences. We all have a sense of right and wrong, and when we do wrong, our conscience, with its small voice, is against us. And I'm confident that you have a conscience, uh, and it stands to make you aware uh, when you do wrong. And in these three verses, there are three words then for sin, three words uh, that describe what it's like. There's, there's the word transgression, uh, which means a deliberate disobeying uh, of God's commands, a deliberate overstepping uh, of, of a command. And then there's the word sins, that's a more general word for all the things that we do or think that are wide of the mark in terms of what God wants. And then in verse 2, there's the word that our translation translates simply sin. Uh, older translations would have go for something like iniquity. It's a word which refers to the inward sinful nature uh, that each of us have, our inborn tendency uh, to go astray. It's a comprehensive description of sin. But the wonderful thing about these verses is there is a solution for comprehensive uh, sinfulness. All of our willful acts, all of our sins and our sinful nature. And the answer comes from God as he is able to not count our sins uh, against us. And that is the truly blessed place to be. For him to do that, end of verse 2, makes it clear that it is necessary for us to be honest before him. That's why this blessing is linked to having no deceit, to obtain forgiveness from God, an honest and open confession of wrong is needed. No hiding things from him. Well, that's the general statement. But the psalmist uh, although he knows this great truth, has yet an experience, a hard experience that he went through uh, that he wants to share with us. He wants to give us some personal testimony. There was a time, looking back, when he wasn't enjoying this blessing uh, of forgiveness. It may have been a time leading up to when he first became uh, a follower, a believer, uh, or it may have been a time when he wandered away from God. Uh, and when he was not conscious uh, of forgiveness. Let me read. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. There was a time when he recognised his sinfulness, but he wasn't turning to God's. The silence here refers to the fact that he wasn't talking to God about it. He was avoiding God. He wasn't confessing uh, his wrongs. But in this time, his conscience was against him. He knew his guilt. And as a result, he could have no peace within. In fact, he describes this torment in strong physical terms. Perhaps the impact of his guilty conscience really was physical uh, affliction. Doctors today recognise uh, that mental distress can cause physical symptoms, psychosomatic symptoms, even disabling ones. And it looks like this groaning uh, that he has causes him to feel just worn out uh, physically at the end of his tether. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul speaks of Christians falling sick through unrepentant sins. But of course it may not necessarily mean over physical uh, pain. You know, an unquiet conscience 
can be an emotional, uh, a mental pain, a nagging in the background. You try to suppress it, uh, and maybe for a time you can ignore uh, that thing you know you've done wrong, uh, but it just pops into your mind. Uh, it just won't uh, go away. Let's read out someone's uh, description of it. Years ago, Kevin had lied in order to avoid a fine from a speed camera. He couldn't risk getting any more points on his licence, so he told the police that the car was being driven by his friend Bronwyn, and then he had paid the fine for her. It seemed such a trivial thing, and he reasoned that he paid the fine for her, so what was the problem? It hadn't mattered to her getting a few points on her licence, and they'd long since expired. No one else knew, and yet somehow Kevin couldn't forget telling that lie. If we don't confess our sins, our conscience will be disturbed. We can suppress it, but if we do that, uh, it can make us fearful, uh, anxious. Uh, we can get angry uh, about the things we've done wrong, restless, even feel isolated and lonely. Roman writer Plutarch, a non-Christian, called the guilty conscience an ulcer in the flesh, like an ulcer in the flesh. Or a great Christian theologian, John Owen, said that the guilty conscience makes an uproar in the soul and gives no quiet or rest until the soul is redeemed. Or you may have read or seen Ian McEwan's Atonement. It's all driven uh, by a guilty person seeking to find atonement for their guilty conscience. And the tragedy is that they don't. Well, this state is what David is experiencing in verses 3 to 4. It is a terrible state. And maybe, maybe there's someone here tonight who can just experience and knows that experience now, even now. But let it not end there, because look at verse 5. David finally comes to his senses. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Perhaps you've known that experience of having felt hardened uh, towards God, uh, and you've not dealt uh, with that sin. But then, suddenly you found the ability uh, to really confess, and it's like a dam bursting. Suddenly the stress is released, the tension is released, uh, and you find, uh, wonderfully, you're able to confess uh, and know the assurance of forgiveness. That is the wonderful news uh, here, that it is possible to do that, uh, and it is possible to know uh, that when sins are confessed, God forgives. Uh, that's what David uh, expresses there at the end of verse 5. It is really encouraging, I think, to notice here that in these verses, the same three words for sin... Uh, that are used at the beginning, are used again. And I think it just emphasises God is able to comprehensively forgive all our sin. And we can know this is objectively true. New Testament makes it clear that it's because of Jesus' death on the cross in our place. He takes the punishment for our sins. So we can know that it's dealt with objectively. It's a fact. But such forgiveness affects us subjectively too, as this psalmist goes on to show it literally can be tears of joy as we know that God has dealt with that sin uh, that has been wearing us down. 
So, looking back over 2014, how can we deal with all our past sins and failings? Well, this psalm is telling us it is possible to look back and know sins forgiven and dealt with. And that is the greatest blessing. That is the truly happy place to be at the beginning of this new year. And so it's important for you to ask, isn't it? The question, looking back, is there anything that still makes you feel guilty? Anything that you would want to hide? Anything that still makes you restless or fearful uh, or maybe angry about what you've done? Well, this psalm is telling us it is possible to really confess those sins, whatever they are, however bad it seems, and to know you've received forgiveness. And it tells us, doesn't it, that that if we have confessed, then we can lay hold of that promise that God does forgive, that he has forgiven it. Sometimes we can confess a sin only to find that, uh, you know, sometime later we still feel guilty about it. Maybe that's one of the devil's tricks. Uh, But this is telling us that we can lay hold of God's comprehensive forgiveness of our sins. It may be that speaking to another uh, Christian believer uh, can help. Sometimes it's the case that what we really need is to pray with somebody else, uh, and that just helps us uh, to gain that reassurance, helps to talk something through. Maybe there's someone else we need to say sorry to as well before we can know the forgiveness uh, that God can give. We can know God's forgiveness of the past, and what a great thing for us all to make sure uh, that we've got at this beginning of 2015. Well, if this is done, then we can look forward, second half of the psalm, to God's presence for the future. I put on the sheet God's guidance for the future. I gave those titles some time ago, and since then changed my mind as to what the best heading might be. I think God's presence probably sums up the whole of the second half of the psalm a little bit better, although guidance is there very much in verses 8 to 9. This forgiveness that David has has experienced and received is so great uh, that he now wants to talk about it. And first, in verse 6, he wants to declare it to others. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you while you may be found. Surely when the mighty waters rise, they will not reach him. David has a real sense of how great it is to be forgiven, and he's just sort of bursting and longing uh, for others to lay hold of it as well. He's got a sense of urgency, hasn't he? You can see it says, pray while God may be found. He knows that life is short. He knows that the opportunity to turn and be forgiven will not remain forever. So we must take the chance while we can. And we mustn't presume that it'll come up later. There may not be a tomorrow. And it's not just urgent, it's also just hugely important. The mighty waters rising. No doubt it refers to troubles that can come upon us, but in particular, the final trouble of a day of judgment that is to come. So it's hugely important to make our peace with God while we can. And if we've done so, well, it's wonderful, isn't it? We can know that nothing can ultimately harm us. Uh, if we're forgiven and right with God. That is why it's such a great blessing uh, to have this, uh, the blessing of blessings. Nothing can ultimately 
harm us if we've got this in place at the beginning of 2015. It is usually the case, isn't it, that we, when we really appreciate the blessing of being forgiven, that we are bold to share it uh, with others, as David does here. And it's when we lose sight of it that our own witnessing dries up. Isn't that the case? Isn't that the case? Wouldn't it be great to be excited again the beginning of 2015 about how great the blessing of forgiveness is so that we will want to share it with others like King David does here. Well, after speaking to others, in verse 7, David turns and speaks to God and expresses uh, some of his joy and forgiveness and his praise for this restored and secure relationship. He says, You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. Looking forward, this is the reality for the Christian believer. We can know God's presence with us all through life. I love this description of God surrounding us all around. It's repeated again in verse 10 and 11. Uh, and giving us songs of deliverance. You know, Christians are amongst the people in the world who've got most to sing about. Uh, we tend to be those that sing as well, particularly uh, compared with many others. We cannot be more secure than to be surrounded by God and his presence. He is our mighty deliverer. Uh, he's our fortress. Uh, and we can call him our loving Heavenly Father. What a place for us to be. We can look forward in 2015 to his presence with us. That is the best thing for this year ahead. That is the, the most exciting reality uh, that we can look forward to. At my old church in London, we used to have this guest speaker, um, a guy called Richard Bewes, that came and spoke to us a number of times. Uh, and he said on a number of occasions that he has this habit uh, that he tries to sort of do each morning uh, when the alarm uh, bell rings and he wakes up. He says, Hallelujah, another day of adventure living with the Lord Jesus Christ. And he tries to say that to himself uh, every day, to remind himself uh, of the, the wonderful thing it is to live with God in his presence. And looking forward, we see something of God's promise to us as we live with him. That's what we're going to look at in verses 8 uh, and 9. Let me read those again. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you and watch over you. Do not be like the horse or the mule which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. Well, in these verses, uh, it's now God speaking, uh, and it contains a wonderful promise for David and through him for all of us too. God promises that he will instruct and teach us in the way to go. He'll teach us how to live our lives. He will guide us. Verse 9 makes it clear that this guidance is not going to be through him forcing us this way or that. Though his instruction comes to our minds, it's counsel. And we have to think about it and respond rightly. You see, the horse and the mule don't have rational minds. Uh, humans can only get them to do what we want uh, by forcing them with things like bridles uh, and bits. You know, one of the things that makes them animals is that they don't respond to reason. But God has made us not like that. He's made us rational. And yet, he needs here to remind us of that and to urge us to be rational. It's quite possible for human beings to be irrational, stubborn, uh, and not to listen to God's voice. We're pretty good at that. 
Jeremiah, the prophet, put it like this. No one repents of his wickedness, saying, what have I done? Each pursues his own course, like a horse charging into battle. Well, if we don't listen to God and charge off uh, and do our own thing, it may be that in his kindness he will use other means to bring us back uh, to our senses. But we don't want to head back to verse 3 and those pains uh, of a guilty conscience. No, rather, if we've received forgiveness, we should now know uh, that it is a good thing uh, to walk in relationship with God. And he promises that he will instruct and teach us in that relationship. And of course, how does he do that? Well, for us, as people living this side of the New Testament, we've got the great privilege of God's full revelation given in Jesus Christ. In these last days, he has spoken to us through his Son. In the Bible, we've got all of God's counsel. We've got all that we need to live the life of faith and obedience that God calls us to. The Bible gives us moral guidance, what's right and wrong, the right and wrong decisions that we're going to have to make this year. It gives us wisdom guidance, principles for working out what is wise and foolish in the decisions that we've got to make this year. And of course, the Bible leaves open many other things. There'll be many decisions uh, this year in which we just have freedom to use the minds that God has given us uh, to work out the best thing uh, to do. God doesn't promise anywhere that I can see to guide us consciously outside of the Scriptures. Uh, He can, of course, do that, should he choose to. But he has promised that the way he will guide us is through the Scriptures. And so 2015 going forward, living with God, well, the most exciting thing about that will mean that we, uh, to grow in that relationship, listening to his guidance and his counsel in the scriptures, be it through church teaching uh, or be it in personal reading and study. That is a great way for us to grow and go forward in God's presence this year. And so we come, verses 10 and 11, to the final general uh, statement and it's just a great sort of conclusion uh, rounding everything off reminding us of the joy and the assurance of the person who is trusting in the Lord we can know God's unfailing love that surrounds us we can know the joy of him who's delivered us from sin and death and hell And I think strikingly as well, as we finish, we can see here, can't we, that the human race is divided into two camps. It's quite stark, isn't it? There's the wicked, that's all of us by nature, and without God's help, it says that we will, over time, face many woes. That's verse 10, many are the woes of the wicked. And then there's the righteous. Those forgiven, uh, who are trusting in God, are declared righteous in Christ. And whatever life throws at us, the promise is we will be secure in his love. He will get us through uh, whatever it is. So it's clear then, isn't it, uh, that the most important thing for us for 2015 is for us to have a real living relationship with God before anything else. That's got to be number one, uh, hasn't it? And if we have got that relationship, it means we can start this year looking back to God's forgiveness of the past. We don't have to carry around the burdens uh, and the 
the feelings of all the things we've done wrong. We can know forgiveness. It's dealt with. And we can look forward to God's presence uh, in this year ahead. He'll be with us day by day. Uh, He will speak to us and instruct us through the scriptures and can give us great joy as we go forward with him. Let me read the last two verses as we finish. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the man who trusts in him. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all you who are upright in heart. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this psalm of wisdom. I ask that we will be those who do pray to you while you may be found and so know your forgiveness. And that we'll be those who do listen to you in your word and so be those who go forward in your presence. And we ask all these things for your glory and rejoice in your goodness to us this new year. Amen.